Hello, this is Larry Dobrow, MM&M's senior editor, and I'd like to welcome you to the MM&M podcast. Um, we've got a terrific uh, guest today. We have Kate Callen, who is the executive vice president and head of social media at Evoke Kind. We're going to be talking a little bit about social media during the uh, pandemic era. Uh, before we get started, though, just one or two quick plugs. Uh, first and foremost, tomorrow we have our MM&M Transform pre-conference webcast with our executive editor, Mark Eskowitz, and Dr. Tanya Elliott. Um, should be pretty good. Check that out. And we also, um, in about two weeks, will be debuting all of our Agency 100 content. That will be going live in the digital realm on June 8th, and it should be reaching your mailboxes, or maybe your home mailboxes at this point, um, on around that date as well. So look out for that. So here is Kate. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat with you. And I want to apologize in advance because it's almost certain that this podcast will feature an appearance by my five-year-old. Um, he does not get the whole don't you know, bother daddy when he's talking. So, uh, you know, when he comes in, try to act surprised, I guess, right? Yeah, no problem. I actually have a um, four and six-year-old here and I am in my office door locked. So we'll yeah. see if uh, <laughs> I have any of those intruders myself. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you, you, you can lock the doors, you can put up signs, you can drive with, you know, like Starbucks treats or anything else, but it doesn't necessarily work, does it? I know. Yeah, I can only find myself <laughs> a certain amount of time these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, Kate, first and foremost, before we get going, um, you know, I get I guess the first question to ask you is pretty much just how, how are you? How is Evoke? Um, how has Evoke Kind mm-hmm. handled this, you know, obviously unprecedented time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, overall, I think, you know, me, myself, obviously, with the kids around, it's a little bit challenging from a work from home standpoint. But, you know, we're about two months in um, into the work from home and kids being home. So I think we're settling into a new normal. Um, so, you know, I can't complain. Everybody's healthy um, from an evoke kind standpoint. Um, you know, our whole focus is on health. So um, in terms of business, we've and, um, you know, a lot of the work that's going on is health related. So, you know, our whole company has been work from home for a couple of months now, um, and it's really been a seamless transition for us. So, um, yeah, we're doing pretty well overall. Thanks for asking. You know, it's interesting, you know, in putting together the Agency 100 issue, which I referenced before, you know, we had a conversation with many, many agencies, and um, a lot of them echoed what you just said. Like, well, you know, it's not a bad time to be in the health business. You know, clients right. certainly need the support at a time like this. Um, tell me about how those conversations maybe shifted a little bit once everybody did go to virtual life. I guess we're talking around, mm-hmm. you know, March, March 12th, March 16th, depending on where you were in the country. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think it was about, you know, mid-March, all of a sudden it was schools canceled. Everybody worked from home. So we were um, um, planning to work from home sort of right before all the kind of state orders went into play. So we pretty quickly, you know, everything we do for the most part can be done, whether it's conference calls, Zoom meetings, um, emails, and so forth. So it has been a relatively seamless transition from that standpoint. A lot of our client work has continued. Um, I've even been on a few new business pitches virtually, which, you know, you could never imagine in the pre-COVID world doing a pitch, um, you know, and not being in the room. But it's really been something that, yeah, it's, it's kind of evolved. And I think everyone um, sort of has the patient, even from a client standpoint, has that patience and understands and asks about your kids and understands that everybody has so much else going on. 
Um, so it's really actually been, you know, pretty good for us overall and, and very understanding from a client standpoint. It's more just been that that initial sort of week of, oh, my gosh, what do we do? Um, do we need to pause things? Do we need to stop things? And I think that's now sort of leveled off that kind of panic um, phase of things um, has leveled out. And we're really getting into sort of this new groove and new virtual workplace. Um, tell me a little bit about your first virtual pitch. Um, you know, that's one of the things I think, you know, that's something that, you know, I, I guess, you know, there is that commonality that we have in terms of Zoom meetings and conference calls and everything else. But, you know, we're not pitching. How, how do you line that up? How do you do it in a way that nothing is lost? I mean, I know that agencies always talk about the chemistry that happens or doesn't happen when you're in the same room with somebody. Uh, tell us about that first virtual pitch that you participated in. Yeah, so it was actually um, the pitch we had planned, you know, to be flying to California for it. So as we got closer and closer, we're like, oh, I don't think we're going to be able to go there. And then it went from, <laughs> you know, we're still going to have it, but we're going to do it over Zoom. So um, we definitely did, you know, run throughs with the full team um, on our agency side via Zoom, you know, very much practicing the handoff, sort of like who's saying what, sure we're not jumping over one another. Um, that becomes even more important when you're not in the room to kind of get those visual cues from somebody. Um, but, you know, the, the team that we were pitching to, they were on video as well, which, you know, made it nice. You're always, you know, you want to see the people that you're speaking yeah. to. Um, <laughs> so it was actually kind of nice as a first one. We've had other since where they didn't show on video, and that's a little more challenging because you're trying to read <laughs> read a room that's not necessarily there. Um, yeah. But yeah, that first one was you know, seamless as it could be. We didn't have tech issues or anything like that, but it definitely took a new um, sort of mindset and making sure that even when you're not talking, you're, you know, paying attention and, and um, engaging. Um, so you're not just kind of blankly staring at your screen. So it's definitely a new way to operate. You know, the, the, the idea that some of these pitches have featured, you know, dogs wandering in, children wandering right. in, everything else, in a, in a way you can almost humanize differently than you would if it's you know just a bunch of people in a room i mean and it, that could be something of an advantage ironically enough. definitely yeah i mean there were times where it was hey you know so-and-so you're you're on mute and kind of having those um kind of breaks in the sort of performance of it all and bringing it back to hey we're all going through this kind of thing together so um mm -hmm. that's definitely another great point about it um you know your your particular expertise is social media um, in a very, very big picture sense, um, tell me a little bit about social media's utility during the last few months, during the pandemic. Um, how, how have you seen your job transform amid these conditions? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, that first phase of, um, you know, everything sort of rapidly evolving in that mid-March time frame. Um, you know, the first place that people are going for updates is Twitter. I learned that, you know, my my son's school was closed on Twitter before I heard from the school itself. So, um, you know, it's that Twitter is where people are going for that immediate um, information. But on the flip side, there's just the spread of, um, you know, false information as well. So a lot of the social platforms themselves have been really going through it, trying to kind of quell the spread of misinformation and elevating sources like CDC is an example. Um, but the volume of content is really, um, you know, gotten so great that things are slipping through. Um, those kind of um, misinformation, conspiracy theory videos have slipped through. So 
what we've been trying to do is really work with our clients to elevate um, trusted sources of information. Now, that can be the client themselves, or that can be pointing people to a source like CDC to make sure that we're not adding to noise because the volume of information is just so great, um, but that we're elevating, you know, one sort of trusted source to really point people to information that's going to help them and not kind of confuse them in a space that's already um, pretty confusing. Um, I think the second part of that is while everybody is physically apart, there, the great thing about social and digital is that there's so many ways to connect virtually um, in the absence of being together with your friends and loved ones, you know, in the same room. So, you know, of course, we've had like everybody has the Zoom happy hours and so forth now, but social platforms are rolling out a ton of new features um, and and advancing features that maybe they had planned for later in the year, like LinkedIn has rolled out um, LinkedIn virtual events to allow people to have more of that um, video conferencing as a lot of meetings are getting canceled. Um, and Instagram is another one where um, you kind of constantly see people going live on Instagram. Um, and they recently changed to allow you to save your Instagram live on IGTV, which is now seeing more adoption of IGTV, which kind of took some more time um, to get people to buy into. So there's definitely, I think, kind of endless opportunities in social, and it's really about being um, sort of an early adopter to some of those new features that are coming out. Uh, I'd like to go back to something you said in the early part of that answer um, about some of the information that disseminated, even though it wasn't, you know, accurate. Um, I know there is sort of the idea out there, there's been, you know, there's been the pandemic, but there's also been a little bit of an infodemic. Do, do you yeah. think the various social media platforms have yeah, I mean, have they done their best? Um, has there been a good faith effort? Um, or has it basically just been, you know, wait till the media calls you on it and then correct it and kind of play uh, catch up rather than do it proactively? Yeah, so I think, you know, I do, while, you know, Facebook can drive anyone that works in social media crazy, I, I do think the volume <laughs> of, you know, I kind of feel for them in this way because, you know, while they do have things set up that are, of course, automated to pick up on certain terms and so forth, there's actually people that are monitoring um, the posts and so forth to try to pull down things that are, um, you know, misinformation. So it's a combination of like the volume is just so great that it's nearly impossible to catch every single thing. So what they've all been doing is that when somebody searches, um, you know, COVID or coronavirus, they were elevating the um, more reputable sources. So I think it's a combination of they're trying to elevate those while also, um, you know, pulling down the things that are not valid. Um, to, to that end, <laughs> overall, have, have you seen, um, you know, especially within the health realm, have you seen changes in tone? I mean, certainly we've seen changes mm -hmm. in content. Um, but largely to me, I mean, at least on, you know, Twitter and, you know, probably on Facebook as well, it seems that the messages have been consistent and supportive, um, rather than, you know, something which is completely turned on its ear. Like, you know, you have United Airlines saying, you know, we're here for you, we're here to help you. And then you're thinking like, yeah, but in February, if my bag was, you know, one pound too many, you know, yeah, yeah you basically took it and you threw it off the plane, you know? Um, so tell right. me a little bit about the changes in tone and content that you've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, it kind of depends on the industry. So obviously, um, you know, airlines, I think um, a lot of the consumer type industries were very much, you know, we're here for you. And um, this is what we're doing to take action in our stores. And this is what's happening. Um, and really kind of communicating updates. 
the tone um, that we've been looking at from our side is, you know, sometimes we have more of a playful tone, I would say, in some of the content if we're doing more of like a patient-facing community. Um, so what we were doing is just looking at the tone and making sure it was appropriate for the time. So we don't want to be like, you know, celebrating National Pizza Day and super excited when people like can't get out of their houses to get yeah. pizza. So it's more, you know, just kind of toning down and making sure it's like not over the top um, and too playful when um, people were just so panicked and um, feeling that anxiety. And I, I actually think now it's starting to balance out where um, people have been hearing about these issues now for about two months we've been in this cycle and now we're starting to see the volume is slowly coming down and I think people want to hear about other things they want to sort of have more um, kind of like that joyful feeling um, back in the content that they're consuming so we're starting to level out a little bit um, but it's still something that we're evaluating in our content and making sure we're not you know showing people in large gatherings um, in an office setting and all of these other things that um, you know we still aren't able to do. Um, have clients largely, you know, I don't know how to put this elegantly, but have clients listened to you? Have clients kind of followed your lead when it comes to, you know, here's where, you know, you might want to change the messaging. Here's where you might want to tweak the tone of the messaging a little mm -hmm. bit. Or has it largely been, you know, okay, you know, we've got some ideas. We'll take your advice and, you know, we'll kind of mm -hmm. see if we can figure out some kind of an accommodation together. Yeah. I mean, I think there's always a mix. The, the very first thing that we did um, was, let's look at all of the pre-planned content that we had. Um, so, you know, in health, a lot of times we're going through review teams um, and we may have stuff planned, you know, a month or so in advance. So we went through, we reviewed everything. I'd say like from that standpoint, clients were very much listening to us um, in terms of, okay, we do need to change up that post or um, switch something out. Where it got a little challenging is that some clients um, just felt the need to communicate about COVID um, in general. So, you know, my general counsel was let's not add to the noise if we don't have something of value to say. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, some companies just felt the need to communicate about it, even just, you know, hey, we're here for you type messages um, versus having an actual um, resource or something to provide to people. So, you know, that's kind of where, you know, okay, you feel you must communicate about it, of course, but, you know, my general counsel is let's not add to the kind of volume of that conversation unless we have something of value to provide. Yeah, like you said earlier, there's been quite a bit of noise around uh, the social space. You know, if you got a reason to add to it, terrific. If not, eh, maybe you sit this one out. But um, you know, exactly. you understand why people want to you also want to understand why people don't want to disappear at this time. It's a fine line to walk. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um some of the some of the platform changes that you mentioned earlier. Um, I think you mentioned um, Instagram Live um, and LinkedIn mm -hmm. virtual events. Have clients been quick to embrace those or is it still one of those kind of let's watch somebody else do it first type situations? Well, you know, I will say pharma is not necessarily an early adopter all the time um, of, you know, changes in social. So I think it's going to be a little bit more of, um, you know, we typically are, are um, meeting with our clients to talk through you know, how can people comment on things? What's a live venue and how can we prepare? Um, so it usually takes just a little bit more um, coaching conversation until they're ready to kind of make the leap. We've seen it definitely happening more in the consumer space um, with Instagram in particular, where, you know, influencers are jumping onto all the new ways that you can use Instagram, um, doing a ton of live sessions. But I think it's just going to take 
our clients typically just a little bit, um, you know, longer to get comfortable with that type of setting. But I think that's where the huge opportunity is, is more of this live streaming, um, kind of off the cuff engagement, because it's allowing us to continue to connect. Um, when all of these big kind of medical meetings and so forth are no longer happening, we can still have that connection through, um, you know, video and virtual events. Is that to a certain extent, I mean, I don't want to say frustrating because I don't want to, you know, say, okay, there are certain clients that do things one way, certain clients that do things another way. But is it a tiny bit frustrating when, you know, there are these tools out there and, you know, pharma is always sort of in that, like, well, let's see what's going on. And again, with mm-hmm. good reason, given, you know, MLR and all the other issues that they have to deal with. Um, is there ever a sense of like, you know, come on, you know, this is an opportunity. We got this. Let's, let's do it. How, how do you kind of, how do you have that conversation yeah. when, you know, you feel pretty strongly one way and the client's kind of hitting the brakes a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've worked in um, healthcare for, you know, my entire career for 15, almost 15 years now. So I'm very used to the way that healthcare operates. I think when we have someone that joins us more from the consumer side, it's always like just preparing them of, you know, it's going to take, it's going to take a little time, you know, to get into the groove here. So we're very accustomed, um, you know, from an agency standpoint to knowing that the first thing that we need to do with a new client is earn their trust um, and the trust of their review team. So, you know, while it definitely takes longer and I wish we could be like, okay, let's go, you know, let's get off Instagram live next week. Um, you know, we're very accustomed to needing to sort of earn our ability to do that with review teams and really spend a lot of time in, um, you know, developing com- um, concept conversations and really getting people comfortable, even with understanding um, we've done sort of like Instagram 101 sessions with review teams, just so they even know how it operates in order to then um, approve our use of it. So it certainly, you know, can have its frustrations, but it's something that's just just part of the job, you know, at this point for us. And mm-hmm. you know, an Instagram 101 session sounds like something any number of people in pharma, in the media, <laughs> and elsewhere yeah. can use. Um, what What are some other tactics or approaches to that end that have worked that have worked for you? Um, you know, what are some mm-hmm. of the other ways that you can make that you know a little bit more palatable? You know, a little bit less uh, scary and potentially mm-hmm. uh, potentially worrisome. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think like just doing more of that, um, stepping back from the weekly review meetings and setting up separate time to just, you know, get in a small room with people, actually pull up examples on your phone, put them up on the screen and just show them how it works. I think a lot of it is just the fear of not understanding it. So when you break it down for people and show them how it works, show them, um, you know, how other companies have used it, that's really a big one in pharma is, you know, clients always want that well, how has it been done before? How have you used it for other clients? Um, so that's really a big part of it. And, and really um, another platform that we've been um, working with our clients to get more active on, more from a um, leadership standpoint is LinkedIn. So getting actual leaders at the company um, active on LinkedIn, because you know now if you're a leader at a company, you really should be thinking about your overall presence, You know, not just media interviews, but if someone looks you up, we want to make sure that that's um, a polished presence as well, and that you're engaging with your constituents on um, LinkedIn. So we've even done that with leaders at companies of just like showing them how it works. And then once they understand, they're actually really excited um, to jump in. So I think that understanding education piece is huge. 
this is actually slightly off topic, but, um, you know, talking about LinkedIn, we've mentioned it a couple of times over the course of this conversation. Um, in my mind, LinkedIn has kind of seized the moment very strongly during these, you know, these last couple of months. Um, it's become not just a place where you go to, you know, look around for old contacts or whatever else, but mm-hmm. also, you know, very much a resource. Um, do you agree um, or why or why not? Yeah, I do. I mean, even over the past year, I think LinkedIn has made a lot of strides. I mean, in general, they're general. They tend to be behind the curve in terms of, um, you know, different ways that you can use the platform. So one of the things, you know, they had rolled out um, polls a couple of years ago and then took them away and now relaunched them. And that's sort of like an older tactic <laughs> on other social platforms. But I think it really is going towards their whole focus on getting people to engage on the platform. So to your point, it's not just, you know, a place to put your resume. They act, you know, they want people to be posting content, to be doing long form content and um, making it more of an area for thought leadership. Um, so I do think that they've really made great strides um, over the past year and in more recent months in terms of um, really getting people to actually interact with each other on the platform. So it's, it's definitely been something that we're using more and more with our clients and um, even more so for, you know, the people themselves beyond just those company pages. Um, in terms of social media and using it to not just, you know, foster new communities, bolster existing ones, um, how has this moment transformed the use of social media for that? Um, have we seen, have we seen these communities been able to connect better? Have they been able to connect, mm-hmm. you know, less effectively without some of the in-person gatherings that have always been kind of a hallmark mm-hmm. after the virtual relationships are established? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends a bit, um, you know, on the audience, the patient audience in general. I think having the online communities has been vital um, when, you know, they can't get to the doctors or um, they can't fill a prescription. It's they're talking to each other on um, social platforms. So, you know, for some of our clients, we already had, um, you know, an Instagram, Facebook page in existence, and we're actually seeing engagement on those pages continue to rise over the time versus decrease because people want to now go, you know, you're spending more time on your phone, you're spending more time on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, um, and they want to connect with other people and feel that sense of connection. So, in the communities that we kind of already had in existence, we're definitely seeing um, increased engagement, which is great. And we want to make sure that we're there for those communities and serving them um, in the best way. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. A couple of the ones that, you know, we've written about, and you know, that we've talked about, you know, there, there was this sense, you know, obviously among people that have not engaged very deeply, but that, you know, it's just one of these like, well, the pharma company won't do this. You know, the brand team mm-hmm. won't do this. You know, the, you know, we can't get this. We can't get that. It's, it's more, it's, it seems that there's an emotional component that's come out a lot over these last couple of months that maybe wasn't entirely there before it. You know, it's not just, it's not anybody coming in and just saying, you know, let me blow off some steam here because these are people that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, again, it really kind of goes back to that, um, empathy piece of feeling understood. Um, And one of the things that we often do um, when we're doing more of like a patient community is even, um, you know, asking them, I know it sounds very simple, but just asking them, you know, what do they need? What content do they like? What can we do more of? Um, What what should we do less of? And really actually responding to that and then um, delivering on that. So I think that's one of the ways to really connect 
um, with our communities as well. Even though it's coming from a pharma company, um, it's still showing that, you know, there's this commitment and um, real desire to understand their needs and then deliver on them. Does pharma get a bit of a bump, a bit of a bum rap? I mean, there is that commitment to help. Mm -hmm. There is empathy. You know, I, I don't think, you know, there is this kind of a idea of, you know, the pharma company as a monolith that's indifferent to everything else. But especially within some of the social communities, you know, there does seem to be a genuine, genuine idea of I want to help. Let us help. Mm -hmm. um, are, mm -hmm. we see, are we seeing more of that, less of that? Has pharma just gotten more sensitive and more attuned over the years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it does go also to just understanding the value of, um, you know, outside of the brand itself, what else can you do for patients and understanding that there is an expectation, I think, sometimes from patients um, that they do want a company that's going to give them more than just, um, you know, the medication. Um, so that's something that, you know, Clients either have an interest in doing that or don't. I mean, we're not trying to push clients in that direction if, um, you know, they're not going to be invested in it. But for those clients who are very much in um, the mindset of wanting to create this community feel, um, I think that patients really value that and they appreciate that and they see it. Um, so it does go even beyond the community itself. It kind of creates this goodwill um, with the patient community. In, in a larger sense, almost independent of social media, um, you know, is, is mm -hmm. as far I want to say, you know, I mean, anytime there's a study, whether it's, you know, an Edelman trust barometer or anything else, you know, pharma as an industry and healthcare as an industry always winds up getting, you know, pretty well hit or, you know, right up there with Congress, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, right. could this, you know, could what we've been seeing over the last couple months almost be an opportunity? I mean, you know, in, in a way. You know, I think there's a general sense, you know, mainstream media, social talk, everything else that pharma has really stepped up and seized mm -hmm. this moment and done so in a way that was very selfless and everything else. Are we seeing, and again, I don't want to reduce anything to like, this is a moment for somebody, but has pharma benefited over the last couple of months just by showing that, you know, here we are, we're sincere, we're here to help? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it's helped people view pharma in a different way. Um, because it, a lot of what we're hearing is, you know, things aren't going to go back to quote unquote normal until there's a vaccine and people understand that a vaccine comes from a pharma company. Um, so I think that there is, um, more understanding of the value that pharma brings. And even, you know, I've seen a lot of pharma companies, whether they're working on a vaccine or not, even just talking about, you know, that they're donating masks or doing other things for frontline workers. And we've had some clients that, um, we did a more of like a gratitude campaign for frontline workers where they, you know, the company themselves just wanted to show appreciation for them. So I think it, it has hopefully started to turn the ties a bit in terms of um, people just understanding that, you know, it's not always kind of that big, bad pharma perception. There are great people that are working um, behind the scenes to develop treatments for them, vaccines, and really invested in just overall health of humanity. Very well put. Um, Kate, I have one last question for you, then we'll move on to our lightning round. Um, it's almost unfair to ask any question about what's next, what's coming in the future, simply because, you know, three hours from now, we might have a new reality somehow, you know? Right. But, um, you know, if we're talking again six months from now, especially healthcare within the social media realm, um, what, what do you think we'll have seen? You know, where are some of the areas that are, where are some of the opportunities, you know, what are some of the things that 
haven't been done as much now that maybe we will see as social distancing eases a little bit and we move into a different phase around COVID. Yeah, I mean, I think even six months from now, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, the social distancing and so forth is limited. But I do think that mm-hmm. this um, move towards more of a virtual world, I think a lot of it will stick around um, in terms of how people connect online, um, the ability to, um, you know, host virtual meetings, to host a virtual pitch. I mean, all of these things that I, you know, never would have really imagined us doing or now um, doing. So I think that people... It's not going to be a complete turn back to normal. I do think a lot of the things that we're using now to connect are going to continue. So um, from a pharma standpoint, it's really capitalizing on a lot of these new features and ways to connect with audiences virtually, um, you know, getting our pharma clients on board with those things because they're going to extend as ways that we can connect with people, um, you know, well beyond COVID. And those are going to be the companies that continue to sort of um, shine from an external standpoint. All right. Kate, just a couple of quick lightning round questions for you. Um, What are some of your favorite daily reads, um, both before COVID and during the COVID era? Daily reads. So um, one big one for me is social media today. So um, as a social person, they always kind of have what's the latest going on um, from a social platform standpoint. Um, That's one that I continue to read, um, you know, in the COVID era as well. But more in COVID, it's more so going on Twitter and kind of seeing what's the latest in their little feed yeah. of COVID. That's <laughs> where I'm really getting that sort of news these days. Um, in your mind, who are some of the smartest people or some of the best follows um, in the world of health-related social media? Um, so I'm, now I'm wishing I uh, had my Twitter feed in front of me. Oh. Um, <laughs> there is. I'm trying to remember his name. It's not necessarily um, healthcare, but Adam, um, geez, what is his name now? Adam Masseri, I believe is mm-hmm. his name. Yeah. So he's the head of Instagram. A lot of times he's posting stuff kind of before other people are. So he's a great one um, to follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, one last question. In in terms of personal favorites, what is what do you feel is your favorite social media platform and why? Yeah, for me personally, it's definitely Instagram. I just think it's super user-friendly. There's just so many ways to engage um, and it just feels less overwhelming than some of the other platforms. So (laughs) definitely for one, for sure. It it has something to do with the pictures, you know, with pictures are involved, you know, it, it, it reduces it to a level where we can all kind of, kind of figure it out, you know? Exactly. All right. Kate, I can't thank you enough for your time here today, especially on such short notice. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the chat. Right. Um, yeah, thanks again. All right. Everybody, that was Kate Callen, um, Executive Vice President and Head of Social Media at Kind. I am Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening to the MM&M podcast. We will be back with you in a couple of days with another one. Take care and be safe. Thank you.